Welcome to Pilot Boys episode 135. Today we have a ton of news and notes. We've got a bunch of shootings that have been happening all over the country, and it's it's very disappointing, and some of the chaos and political narrative around that. Uh, we have the NBA playoffs, which have just been nothing short of incredible. Um, and then Elon and Twitter seems to be moving in a different direction. Uh, so buckle in, strap those seatbelts up, put the trade tables up. The Pilot Boys are about to take off. Let's go. Welcome to the Pilot Boys Podcast, where you'll get the real on all things sports, music, and pop culture. And here are your hosts, Vishwant and Partha. So speaking of Twitter, V, I think we got to start with the, uh, with, the, with the Twitter news. Elon's pulling his plug on Twitter um because he feels that their bot count is inaccurate you know this is an interesting scenario and it before we dive into elon let's dive into a little bit of twitter and and maybe some of the reflection of what our society is going through right now i uh i got a call yesterday that um you know one of the companies um i've invested in didn't want me to be tweeting wearing their merch and tagging their company because they were not happy with some of the stuff I was tweeting. And I was just super surprised because when you're typically, you know, when you're an investor in something like you're helping them, you know what I mean? <laughs> Especially when, when you're an advisor, right? And it's funny because I think it just, it shows you the state of the world that we're in where people are so scared of what could happen if they're actually authentically themselves online on social media in front of other people and you know it was it was a surprise for me to receive this call because it was from somebody i've known for a very long time who you know i've i've you know supported along the way and uh it it was i mean i was i was laughing as i heard it because i knew it wasn't about me i knew it was about the other person but at the end of the day like it also made me sad, you know what I mean, for this for the state of our country that people are scared that somebody making a joke on Twitter or somebody teasing somebody else is going to actually hurt their income and that's worth, you know, throwing your friend under the bus or telling them that they can't be themselves. It is an interesting world we live in with the heightened sensitivity um, and cancel culture is a real thing. Like you can make a minor transition in your entire history of your life. If you made a transition 40 years ago um, can take you under. Now that that isn't the case here. You didn't do it or say anything that was worth a cancellation. Um, but again, it's just a reminder of, um, kind of the culture we live in, right? There's two sides. There are people who are fearless, and I wouldn't even say fearless. They're careless um, in in managing their brand, and they will say or do anything, um, and that drives popularity. We'll get into a little bit of Tucker Carlson later on, but that is a good example of someone like that who is careless in how they approach media and what they say. Um, you've never struck me as kind of a careless person. You are a firestorm sometimes in terms of uh, creating a conversation um, that may be controversial or a topic that's controversial. Um, but at the end of the day, 
you know, um, the problem that I have with society and with people is that they don't understand what loyalty is and what loyalty means. But loyalty means that you do the vetting before you decide I'm going to be loyal to this person. You vet that person, you vet their interest, you know who they are. And once you determine that that's someone you're going to be loyal to, that loyalty is unquestionable, right? Like when they make mistakes, you're supposed to be the person that helps them or helps guide them, not dismiss them or cancel them uh, with everybody else, even if you do have an issue, right? It's worthy yeah. of a conversation, um, specifically in a scenario, in a situation where um, that person has really helped uh, your business um, or you as a person be, get to where you're at. Um, quick cancellation is not something that should happen in in those situations or scenarios. No, especially amongst friends, you know. And I think I think that's where that's where it gets interesting. I, maybe the topic of our pod or the topic of life these days is the amount of fear running through our country right now. The fear that individuality in its essence or just the the ability to speak truth in a confident way is you know something that could hurt you and i think if you're spiritual or religious at all you know that if you do things with the right intention then you know you should believe that you'll be taken care of in the best possible outcome right if you're spiritual or religious at all which i think is i don't know the stats i do believe it's the majority of the country whether they're religious, spiritual, whatever that category is. And I think we're in this era where people like, you know, we'll, we'll get into some of these topics um, shortly, but people love to use fear and negativity to stoke flames to get people to feel a certain way. And, you know, that's never something that you should be doing if you're a healthy and whole person. But at the same time, that doesn't mean you can't call people out when they're full of shit on social media. Or when they're saying something that has no relevance to a conversation, that's just a full ego sentiment that doesn't belong in the conversation. Like you'll see a lot of threads on Twitter, especially in the startup and VC world, where people will be debating about a topic and then very quickly it turns into, well, I did this. I make this much money. I did this on my returns. I'm doing so great. Nobody cares. Like we're talking about something. We didn't show up to Twitter to hear your highlight reel. Yeah, the whole idea of these chats like Twitter and Facebook, like when you look at the conversations and part of the reason that I'm not on there that much in these conversations, nor do I engage in them too often is because they're not real conversations. They're, they're very antagonistic. Everyone is simply trying to create a conversation or a tweet that is going to get them attention and generate retweets and likes. It's not about the conversation itself and that's where the fear comes in too specifically for brands and, and people in, in in that ecosystem it is that they operate now in so much fear because it is true the most harmless tweets have taken companies down you know that's the counter to this right and because of that fear whether it's your investors whether it's whoever's involved in your company people don't what they what they they, they react without actually analyzing the situation, right? Yeah. Analyzing whether or not there's some truth to it. And, you know, there's an old saying that somebody told me, which is the people with the best intentions in this world um, are the people that are misunderstood the most because it's full of people with bad intentions. Yeah. <laughs> and that's... Check the bad intention on the action of the yeah. person. 
and just trying to do the right thing. Yeah. I, it's yeah. funny you say that. It's like I think about Phil Hellmuth a lot, you know, yeah. when when you talk about misunderstood people. And I think, you know, knowing him, he's one of my favorite people I know. He's he's so charismatic. He's so full of love. He, he's a truly positive, incredible human. And everybody wants to hate on him. And he definitely plays into it, feeds into it a little bit. Like he knows how to play that side of the game to an extent. But I definitely can sense that there's times where the negativity just tends to pile on him. And, you know, as somebody who has a professional relationship with him, I also understand that the great value of working with people who are full of light is that they change society, right? Like, I I remember when I played sports, I think I've brought this up on the pod before. I've always heard this phrase, great players make great plays. If you want to be a great player, you wait till the moment gets tough and you make the great play, right? And it's like, if you are a mover or a shaker or an innovator, guess what? At some point, you have to be fucking innovative. You can't just be like everybody else forever. At some point, you have to stand up and go against the grain and people are going to get upset at you and people are not going to like you because you're saying something different than what they want to hear but it's true. And if it's true, you're good. You know what I mean? Whatever the consequences may be, there's the Taoist books say this, every religious book says this. If the consequences of truth are that you have to go to jail, like Nelson Mandela did, like Mahatma Gandhi did, then those are the consequences of truth, but they're worth standing up for, are they not? You know, and that's how I feel in this society is if, if me being authentically myself and calling out the things I feel like I need to call out, is going to get me in trouble. I accept that because that was my path in this lifetime. But never will I yield to society telling me not to be who I am. Yeah, I mean, the, the I think the, the main base basic thought process is this. I think so long as it, you've taken the time to do your research and your analysis um, on a topic or a subject, and you have formulated an opinion properly, right, that isn't based on emotion, and you have some context to your opinion, then you express it and it is not received the way that society wants. It, it, it's not received by society in a, in a positive way. Then you can go to sleep at night being okay. Yeah. Now, on the opposite end of this, and this is where I want to be very careful with this subject is because I see this on Twitter all the time, is people taking completely uneducated personal beliefs based on emotion and using those as truth and as facts. And that's where this whole problem has started and, and come from is that social media creates a lack of fact-checking you know, the old adage of journalism, any, any old school journalist will tell you, you verify any data with multiple sources before you publish it because we've always known journalists knew the power of media and the damage that misinformation can create. We've seen it throughout history. Um, and that's where, you know, Twitter and these, these platforms um, – have really caused trouble in society and what's also started to create the psychological effect on people because they see something on Twitter, even by a, a news outlet that they follow and they say, okay, well, I believe it without any verification of whether yeah. it was true or not. 
Yeah. And, you know, I think uh, I'll I'll give one example from the left and then we'll go to the right being irresponsible. Um, but I think the purpose of our podcast is to wake you up and remind you everyone's being irresponsible. So one thing I've, I've absolutely loved is Elon stepping up and making the move with Twitter. First of all, him pulling back on the deal is 100% to drop the price. This is a very calculated move and it's entirely because he, he has a loophole that he probably planned for in the contract in case the market went down to be able to renegotiate. That's what he's doing. He'll probably knock $20 billion off the valuation he initially offered, pay his $1 billion penalty for breaking the deal, get it for $21 billion instead of 40 So that's very likely to happen. But in the same vein, Elon's actions have created a wave of people actually starting to speak up a little bit more. And what we really need are wealthy people to speak up against other wealthy people. And we saw that with, or powerful people, we should say. We saw that with Bezos this week, which was a really interesting thing. We saw a tweet from the White House, two very irresponsible tweets that were very misleading, that, that brought a lot of fire. One, essentially, from Biden's account. Again, we don't know who tweets these, probably the PR team. But from Biden's account saying, are you tired of inflation? If so, we need to tax the wealthy. And yeah, had it's a actually big- illogical. <laughs> yeah, completely illogical because the two are not related by any yeah. means. Yeah. Sure, you can talk about taxing the wealthy. But that has nothing to do with how much money the Fed printed, you know. Yeah. So and how, mu- and, and how much money is being sent uh, to non-American causes consistently 100%, and constantly? Hundred percent, so. forty billion to Ukraine, the the asking price of Twitter. So, yeah. and uh, that I thought was a really interesting scenario because Bezos retweeted that and put a few tweets up, essentially like saying, "Look, like." It's fine to talk about these issues, but you can't put them side by side like this to confuse people and make them think that they're related because they're not. And, you know, on the flip side, you have, uh, you know, what we'll segue into with the shooting in Buffalo with, um, you know, the many shootings that have happened across the country this past week and an increase in gun violence. You have the incredible politicization of these events as well. One side that is looking to use that to put an assault rifle ban. The other side making wild claims about this idea of great replacement theory, which I just found out about. But it's the idea that there's a secret plan to replace white people with immigrants. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, look, is the the fundamental truth of this, and you know. Elon's no hero. Elon's a selfish, narcissistic human being who only cares about Elon, right? Because it's great that he's trying to negotiate the price down, but there are tons, and and this is really a beef with the SEC that he has. So he's 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 trying to go tit for tat with the SEC and and play a chess match. It's really about him and the SEC because what he's doing is undermining the value of all shareholders, uh, retail shareholders of Twitter by doing this, right? You're devaluing the company so that you can personally take it private and make a ton of money off of it. This is not some altruistic idea. I know, you know, you tend to like Elon. I look at him as for what he is. I don't dislike him. I don't like him, but it is a reflection. I, I bring that point up to say that this is the fundamental problem that society has is that everybody thinks that 
it's okay to only think about self and to only think about how your actions or inactions impact yourself without thinking about the greater impact that it's having on society. We actually have a culture in which that is all people care about. Biden's tweets were very irresponsible. But the reason that those tweets were sent out is because they play into a personal agenda that he has as a politician. So he looked at it without even verifying whether or not it made sense. It was more so about positioning himself and positioning what he has as a goal um, for his administration versus looking at the situation and saying objectively, what is the problem that's causing inflation? How do we solve the problem? Everyone's only looking at the problem from how can I extract value from this situation, whether it's gaining political points, gaining business points, gaining financial points, gaining retweet points, whatever it is that you're trying to gain. That's how everybody is viewing things in our society, and it's getting worse and worse and worse. And eventually, we're going to pay a price because if you look at how nature works and how most people work, there is this idea of symbiosis and working together for a common cause, not for any sort of like, you know, um, you know, truly altruistic, it's self-preservation, right? The thing that people think that they're doing by being selfish, the idea of self-preservation actually in the long run is going to work against the preservation of humankind and mankind because we're already seeing it. AI is replacing humans in the workforce. And it is only going to be a time before we're in an iRobot or a ghost in the machine phase. These things, these movies that are made, um, talk about realities, even the, the famous book 1984, realities that we're not even seeing that we're playing into and that we're, we're becoming a part of. Yeah, I, could, I couldn't agree more with that. It's, I think it's like a tough realization to acknowledge that real life could turn into that. You know, yeah. I think it's a very tough thing to accept. And, you know, folks don't want you to, to buy into that because it messes up how the economy works and it messes up their ability to predict how things work. But I think the the big thing, you know, V and I always talk about like off air, like this podcast, we don't care how large it gets. We just care who listens because you guys listening are, are the change makers in this world and the, the ones who can who can actually think outside the box and think for yourselves in a positive way that will lift people up. But, you know, if, if you were to really put the numbers on it, I was at like um, like a session yesterday and uh, they were telling us that 85 percent of people in um, in America live in a state of guilt or shame, a perpetual yeah. state of that. So if you're in guilt or shame, that's where these actions come from that we're talking about. That's how you could possibly, you know, go out in a selfish way without understanding that we're all connected. We're all in this together. We're all supposed to be caring for each other and ourselves in a very loving way. And when you start to realize that, especially when it comes to like this type of message that we're putting out there, only 15% of people will ever resonate with this period. You know, yeah. Yeah. That's part of it. And so if you're out in the world, like you have to protect yourself to an extent. But at the same time, when you live in a loving, trusting way, you will find that things work out for you. So, you know, regardless of all this noise, I, I don't think that I think it's worth observing and, and commentating on and pointing out. So you're aware of what's happening. But I don't think it should create fear in your mind in terms of how you interact with the world because in reality when you give love love is 
love comes back. Like that's just the way of the world. Yeah. Yeah. And also like dismiss this thought process of, you know, when you go onto these platforms that you're supposed to really express your identity. Um, this is the thing that I'm, I, I like about social media is if it was used properly, if people actually truly expressed their personal identity, their belief system, who they are versus looking at things and saying, Hey, this is what works within the algorithm. This is what's going to get me retweets. This is what's going to get me likes. This is what's going to get me shares. There's this idea of just followers and likes and conversation around, around you mattering, but it's not effective. It's not effective for in the long run for those people are whether you're selling for us, whether we're selling socks, if that's what, how we ran our social media, um, constantly without thinking about what is the message that we're trying to put out. Um, we probably could gain a lot of followers, like look at Wendy's, right? But I don't think that Wendy's social media has a true impact on the number of people that buy junior bacon cheeseburgers. Um, it's, it doesn't, you know, and it's, uh, it's, it's fascinating to, to, that's, that's one thing that I, would hope there is a real opportunity for human beings here to build a confidence, to truly express themselves in a way that is true to themselves and not care about the like numbers, not care about the number of retweets, not care about the number of comments or, 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 or reshares, because then we'd have, we'd have these platforms being used for what they truly are, which is a, a platform to find people or find groups that of people who think like you in a meaningful way. Right. Like not not a, a a a negative way, which is who am I trying to cancel today? Who am I? Who do I want to hate today? Right. You know, what celebrity do I want to dislike today? What celebrity do I want to adulate and 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 stalk today? You know, True. <laughs> it's, you know, if you think about it from the commerce perspective, like, oh, I can make more money if I have more followers or if if, you know, X, Y, Z happens, it's not worth it. Don't sell out your soul just to make dollars. Your. It doesn't make it doesn't make business sense either because it's a sh like it's a short term game, right? You see this like if you don't build your brand authentically and take the time to build it, you might explode. And and you know I'll use a you know I'll use a music industry reference here. There are a lot of artists who quote unquote blow up, and you hear their names. They'll have a big song or even like a big few songs, yeah. but ninety five percent of those artists disappear. Yeah. About 99% of the artists who have staying power are the people who go through the circuit and go through the struggle of building or doing shows in their garage, in garages, doing shows and building something authentically over time, even if they have 100,000 followers versus 5 million which followers those 100,000 followers actually are more effective and, and lead to longer-term value um, and those people's careers sustain for a longer period than those people who follow these metrics and these models and say, I got to get to a million followers. 100%. And, and then a year later, nobody cares about them because they cared more about the, the, the metric than they cared about their brand. That's 100%. a different, those are two different things like numbers and followers are not your brand. hundred percent. And it's, it's not going to go the way you want it to go. Like, let's keep that perfectly clear. If you do it the no, right it's way, it's going to go its own way and you just have to be there for the ride, but it will be the best outcome. Guaranteed. 
and that's that's the hardest part right is like to contain and play the build the mental strength to stay true to yourself especially with all the noise that's around to not stay true to self and to follow this because you're seeing every day examples of people succeeding following like following other ways right like and 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 playing playing to fear playing to these things you'll say oh this is the number one rated news show now this is the number one most popular song right now and it's like uh yeah but will that be there five years from now yeah 100 percent. and which one are you doing you know and and are you playing are you are you playing a short-term game are you playing a long-term game and the truth is we all live a very long time hopefully with with health and you know with with grace we all get to live a long time so you should always be thinking about the long game not the short game 100 percent. and on that note speaking of the long game let's switch over to the nba and we're seeing some of the teams that play the long game really start to thrive in the playoffs so we had a few game sevens this past weekend which were incredibly exciting we saw phoenix lose to dallas a big surprise we saw the Bucks have probably the most embarrassing loss you could have in a Game 7 against the Celtics. Um, teams that have been playing the long game, I think the Celtics and the Mavericks definitely qualify. Both are run with front offices that have a longevity mindset. Mavs, I think, maybe a little bit more of a, a dumpster fire internally, but they, they tend to make it work. Um, long-term player in Luka, long-term players around him that they've been able to staff staff up there. And you're seeing this, this uh, you know, cohesiveness that I, I think Dallas itself is like not as flashy of a place to play. So there's like a lot more focus. There's a lot more groundedness to the way these guys approach the game. Um, kind of the same thing on the other side with the Celtics. It's been basically the same gang for about seven years over there. Uh, Brad Stevens just made his move out and made it at the exact right time. They're peaking right in the right in the end of the playoffs. Jason Tatum is showing us he's really that good of a player. Man, I mean, it's been it's been pretty unbelievable seeing all of this happen be. What's what's been your sentiment with the game sevens and with the teams that have now made it to the conference finals? Yeah, there are a few there are a few few points that I want to make. First, I don't think that the Bucks lose this series with Chris Middleton. So no way. It's, it's it's great that Boston finally is breaking through after all these years, you know, of 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 great front office play, getting draft capital, getting capital in order to construct a team while not ever fully making the moves, making many missteps uh, along the way, like the Gordon Hayward signing was a huge misstep. The Kyrie Irving trade was a huge misstep, but they stuck with the process. And I think just what happened last year, finally understanding, hey, Brad Stevens probably should move into this front office role. He's not getting through as a coach. Let's bring in a coach that can get through to the players. Um, And you see the identity shift. Um, with Boston in terms of their their talent, um, I'll be honest, last four to five years, the expectation has always been that Boston should be a team that's coming out of the East, and they just never have. You yeah. know what I mean? So I don't want to discredit Milwaukee, um, but I do want to give Boston credit. They dethroned the defending champs, um, and they played a great game seven. I don't know if they can continue to shoot the three ball. Like nobody was going to beat either Boston or Dallas in those games, they literally lights had out. lights out. Like nobody was going to beat them in that game. Yeah. Um, literally making every shot um, that you could make 
Um, and there was just too much pressure on Giannis uh, to carry the load. Giannis and, and, um, and Milwaukee missed every shot you could yeah. make. Yeah, and it was it came down to Holiday and Holiday Giannis were the only shot ball creators that they had, um, and just got overwhelmed by a team. And they took them to seven games still, which is which says a lot. And on the other side, we got to talk about Miami. Like, yeah, Miami now is is shown. They made the finals uh, two years ago, um, and they're back in the Eastern Conference Finals. About having a long term mindset. Right, they've had the same front office and the same coach um, for over a decade now, you know, and they continue to build. They continue to have a culture. They look for players that fit their culture. They have an identity, um, and they know that in the long run, that identity is going to continue. Although they won't win a championship every year, they're going to continue to be a high-performing organization. Uh, Toronto has this to a degree as well in the Eastern Conference. Um, and, and, and the flip is you look at the Brooklyn Nets. They always play short-term games, starting with the big Paul Pierce, Kevin Garnett thing that they tried to do to make a splash, but they've never reached the potential they were supposed to reach because they're always trying to fix things quickly versus saying, saying what is our identity as an organization going to be and how are we going to build this over time? And I think you're starting to see a cultural shift in the NBA if you look at a lot of these teams um, that are starting to buy into that. You know, you see the Memphis team and you look at Dallas. Um, when you look at Dallas, they have Luka and you can't, most people can't name another player on their team unless you're a true basketball fan. But the thing that Dallas recognized was this whole idea of it being an arms race and trying to build as many stars as possible on your team. They saw that it didn't work with Krista, they knew that with a player like Luca, they needed to have a whole bunch of players around him that were willing to fill very specific roles and let him be the star who controls the ball, controls the flow of play, controls every aspect of the game. You don't do that when you get a second star player. You can't build your organization that way when that is your primary star player. And the Dallas Mavericks, to their credit, they traded Kristaps. They got Spencer Dinwiddie, who is an elite player, but understands his role and doesn't have this ego that's built by everyone saying that, you know, giving him a nickname like Spider or whatever it is uh, <laughs> <laughs> to, to, you know, no knock on Donovan Mitchell. I just, the name came to head. Um, <laughs> but it's, uh, it's, it, it's, it's fascinating that the final team, Golden, the Golden State Warriors, you look at Golden State, and they've been the, the most consistent organization um, in the last decade, and they've rebirth, reborn and reinvented themselves consistently with the consistency being the head coach and the front office. But they've had a lot of changes in the organization in terms of players and personnel. But by the fact that they have a standard culture there with Steph, Draymond, and Clay that and they draft players that are willing to buy into that culture and that mindset um, just showcases why these are the four teams that are left. They're four teams that think long-term. And the final thing, I know I've been long-winded here, um, the final thing is that they're the four teams that care the most about defense. Yeah, You know, in a league that's being driven, we're always being talked and players are being trained in youth basketball. 
not to be very good defensively, but the organizations and teams that build a defensive identity and a defensive culture are always the teams that end up in the finals. So, you know, that's something to think about if you're you're Philadelphia, if you're Brooklyn. Like, why aren't we getting there? Maybe if, you know, you emphasize toughness, you know, and Joel Embiid said this in his exit interview, you could tell the guy was literally about to cry because he was like, why would we as an organization get rid of Jimmy Butler, who is built like me, with the mentality that I have, and choose a Ben Simmons or choose a Tobias Harris or choose a James Harden, who, although they're great players, they don't fit the same mindset um, that you need to to be tough and win a championship. Imagine where that team would be if they had Jimmy Butler and 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 a healthy Joel Embiid versus what they have. Yeah, and I'll bet you you'll see that same kind of co- culture clash all the way through the organization. You'll see it in the front office. You'll see it in the coaching staff. You'll see it in the ownership. Yeah, you know, it's like that's that's how great organizations are run. They're very consistent in the way that they approach things, top to bottom. And, and they're okay losing sometimes, right? 100%. Like if you look what, on their own terms. Yep, yep. The the Warriors didn't make the playoffs last year. You know, just and now they're they're probably gonna. They figured it out. I think they're the favorites this year too. They've got to be the favorites. They've yeah, got to be the favorites. So, yeah, another thing I got to throw out. I think, you know, I don't think Memphis would have won the series even with Jaw back for Game Seven, saying that, you know, assuming they'd evened it up how they did. Um, but I think Memphis really showed us they're a tough team, and I think that they got a lot of the great experience of having to play a great team in the playoffs in the Warriors, and I. I think being able to compete against the mental toughness and consistency of the Golden State Warriors is a good thing for that team. So I really hope to see Memphis continue to grow and get better in the future years. Yeah, Memphis is going through what a lot of small market teams go through. You have to build differently. Look at what Milwaukee did to finally reach the mountaintop. Look at what Toronto did to reach the mountaintop. It's a different approach when you're a mid-market or small market team. You have to draft really well. You have to scout really well. You have to scour free agency. If you look at the team that they have a lot, like a Desmond Bain, for example, is not a player that was heavily sought after, but they saw something in him. you know. And the thing is, if you're a true fan of basketball, um, and what the sport represents, and you don't like that this Memphis team, um, then you're not really a basketball fan or a basketball purist because they do everything the right way. They have the right attitude. They want to win. They want to be great. And they did knock off. This was revenge for Golden State. They beat Golden State in the play-ins last year to keep Golden State um, from making the playoffs. So they w- just have to trust the process to, to coin the Joel Embiid phrase um trust the process and just keep getting better i think they have a a nice first round draft pick again this year um just continuing to they need to find that you know that second piece to john moran not necessarily a superstar um but somebody who can create their own own shot and their own own plays when when jai is unable to go because i think he is going to continue to have some of these injury issues just because of his build, just because of how he plays the game. Um, You need to have somebody that you can rely on if he's not playing. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I, I just also have to say, I think 
The Heat are going to have an interesting matchup with the Celtics. I was really impressed with Grant Williams, um, him showing up on the defensive end, especially over the last two series for the Celtics. And um, he made a comment, I think, yesterday. Uh, oh, I just defended Giannis. You think Jimmy Butler is going to be a problem? And uh, I'm I'm curious to see how it plays out. I, I genuinely have no idea how these teams are going to play against each other, but both teams are really, really physically tough teams, and they both play incredible defense, and I love it, you know? And you know, just to call it, kind of call it on the other side as well, like if you watch the Mavs' Suns, the Phoenix, the only thing that they had control of that game was their defense, and that was weak. There were, the rotations were slow. The effort wasn't there. The intensity wasn't there, especially after they got down a little bit. And, you know, coming out of the half, they had an opportunity to make it a game again. They didn't take that opportunity. And you look at a team like Miami, you look at the mental composure there, or a team like Boston, like these are both teams that it doesn't really matter what the score is. They're going to come at you hard. Yeah, they are. And it's going to be a problem. I mean, Boston is the favorite, right? Like yeah. this whole underdog story with Boston is so funny to me. They're not underdogs. They have more talent than the Miami Heat. If the Miami Heat win, it's going to be by sheer will, sheer coaching, and Jimmy Butler just just having a mentality of no man is going to is going to take this from us. So that's I think that's the difference. You know, to speak to your point on that, that's a difference this time around with Miami versus Boston. Boston has a new coach who hasn't been to this this part of the mountain before. Spo's been here many times over. He knows exactly how to handle the situation. He knows how to do it. This exact roster got to the finals in the bubble. People forget that that wasn't an accident. Like these are genuinely talented, intelligent, smart players that know how to win, know how to play the game. Now I agree their talent level is definitely lower, especially on the 2k meter. If you compare them versus (laughs) Boston, but Boston has a history of having spotty, spotty performances. They'll have an amazing game. Then the next one, they're not really there. Yeah. The truth is that Milwaukee series should not have gone seven games if Boston truly played at their level every game. You know, you saw inconsistent play. We see the 46-point game from Jason Tatum. That helps you ignore the 10-point game. You know what I mean? So he's got to be consistent, and and, and same thing with Jalen Brown. They're they're both really great players that can both be all-time greats, but if they don't cross the the threshold and perform – their best, you know, their people will start talking about them. Like that's what James Harden suffers from now is it doesn't matter how good you are, how many points you average or how good your offensive game is. If you're not getting to the finals and you're not helping your team win in major moments, then, you know, he's seeing the situation. Boston, Philly came out today and said, they're not going to give him a max extension. You know, there's, and you know, kind of on the flip side of it, Philly, I think is a very comparable team to Phoenix in this regard. Like, Phoenix has has disappointed consistently. You know, I'm I don't like seeing the Chris Paul hate on social media because this is a 37 year old point guard playing absolutely insane minutes at his age and doing a good job of it. I think if you're gonna point that in anyone's direction, I think you got to look at D Book, man. Like that's the guy who's supposed to be the main star for this team. Why are we talking about CP3? Yeah, I mean, I think there's just a general sentiment against CP3 because he's such a competitor, and there are a lot of guys in the league that don't like him. If you're not a teammate of CP3, you tend not to like him. It doesn't matter who you are, uh, even if you're friends with him off the court. Uh, Go on on first take. 
Yeah, yeah, and I like Dame Lillard's response to that. Like, why do you have so? Why do? You, why are you so mad at Chris Paul, well, man? What did he do to you, bro? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> did he hurt you? <laughs> yeah, I mean, overall, it's it's fun. It's 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 it, that again is that is the Twitter medium, right? It's it's funny, and I think also there's something to be said with what's happening with DeAndre Ayton. He's eligible for a max extension. Yeah. Not sure what's going on there, but his effort in that game was very, very poor. Yeah, uh, there's there's clearly some disconnect there, and be interesting to see what happens with him in the off season. There's been this interesting rumor floated out around of uh, Anthony Davis, uh, DeAndre Ayton based trade um, for LA and Phoenix, which would be interesting. Um, I, didn't, uh, I didn't hear about that, but that would be interesting. Yeah, that would be an interesting trade. Um, and uh, we'll see how it all plays out. Let's not let's not bash Phoenix too much. They made the finals last year. They dealt with a rash of injuries late in the season. That can throw off chemistry. At the end of the day, it's yeah. who's healthy when it matters the most. You gotta peak at the right time, like we said last and, week too, and stay healthy, right? Yeah. And, I want to uh, see. Um, I want to see Miles Bridges really progress as well. Yeah, we'll see. We just saw that. We saw it a tremendous amount of growth in their role players last year. And I think that growth kind of plateaued this year and you had a golden state team. And then you also had a killer, you know, in, in, in Luka Doncic, that guy is like a, he, he'll laugh at you while he's killing you. Like he's got that old school mentality. And I think he, he got in D books head in this series. hundred percent. And I got to say, I think, um, when I was living in Atlanta, when it was the Doncic draft and they drafted, they traded to draft uh, Trey Young instead as the two pick. I believe they traded down to get two and three or something like that. But the uh, GM rationalized it. it was like, it's two players for one. Why would I not take that? And I was sitting there like, you idiot. This is the Euro League MVP. He just hit a game winner. He's 19. He's, he's 19. Euro League is good. By the way, it's not bad. If you're going to be the MVP of that at 19, you're clearly good. You're clearly a proven winner. Trey Young is an absurdly brilliant Man, he's, guard. He but, started playing pro in Europe at 15, so his yeah, game. He, See, the thing, the thing is, like these are the things that they always talk about in drafts: is the physical attributes outweighing what you see on the court. Like, yeah, I saw Luka Doncic play for the first time when he was 16 years old. And I saw his highlight tape, and they were talking about this kid. And I was like, this guy should be the number one pick in the draft. It doesn't matter that he doesn't have a step, and he's not the fastest guy. Um, and Mark Cuban and the Dallas Mavericks, to their credit, they saw the opportunity and took it. Trey Young has been a great player for Atlanta. He creates excitement. I think for the culture of Atlanta, a guy like Trey Young is great. He's a good pick, but you're seeing that you miss out. It's good. I, I wonder if this is going to go down like, you know, the the Trailblazers drafting Sam Bowie over Michael Jordan. If it's going to go, it's going to come back uh, to haunt the Atlanta Hawks in the same way. Yeah, and I, you know, you can't knock Trey Young. He's he's an absurdly good player, but when you have Trey Young versus Luca, I think anybody in their right mind is going to pick Luca to build a team around. Just, yeah. It just I mean, fully at the end of the yeah, day. Yeah. I mean, he should have been the number one pick in the draft and he wasn't. I mean, and it happens, you know, just, you know, same thing happens. It happens all the time. It's like, do you draft on need or do you draft the best possible player? 
Yeah. And I think too often teams focus on need. Like w- imagine where, where Portland would be now if they would have drafted. And, you know, I love Greg Oden uh, as a Buckeye, but if they would have drafted Kevin Durant and not drafted Greg Oden. You know? Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point. Well, on that note of what ifs, this, this wraps up our news and notes. Uh, hopefully you guys are taking care of yourself out there. Remember, uh, to stay moving as always and be you. You as fly. Five boys out. Five boys, we